This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. I don't mean to be so uh, argumentative and combative right off the top here, a contrarian, if you will, to begin Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Normally that's Danny's role, actually, so I don't want to step on your toes, Danny, you know. But there's a question here that's included as part of today's game plan, And, and there's a lot more coming beyond this, including a new nickname alert. So I know what you're thinking right now. Wow, Calvisi's got a new nickname just waiting to stink. But we'll see. We'll see. Have a little more faith than that. I can read I can read your face, Danny. I know. I'm being profiled right now based on the nickname. That will come a little bit later. But the question as posed in the game plan by Darren Urban was, what did you do on the bye? You know, maybe a small talk type conversational thing. Dare I say, the more apt question really is, what did you not do on the bye? For example, um, I did not deal with the one-on-one and have to commute for three days. Uh, didn't have to put on or take off any poly pancake TV makeup. Uh, I did not ask any dumb questions in a press conference that would blow up in my face because there were no press conferences. So, you know, it's everything. I did not have to keep my head on a swivel for a 300-pounder coming out of bounds near the sideline, uh, you know, and see my life flash in front of my eyes. It, I think the bye weekend really is more about what you did not do, dare I say. I think that's quite fair. Isn't that the kind of the point of the bye weekend? <laughs> yes, you're right. Say goodbye to any real work-related duties. I'm not going to sit here and yeah. say I didn't do any work, but I did mm. far less work than you probably are guessing, Danny. And I'm really proud of you. <laughs> now, it might have been in part because I was sick and broken, and that's just where I am as a human being. Wow. Darren's on the injury report. Really? Okay. Questionable? Doubtful? I mean, oh, I'm, you back, know. I'm back to... I'm, I'm back to Gotcha. Okay. Miraculous recovery. Were you a few hours ago? Were you a game day decision? Have you just no, you, no. You this know? this this faded out by probably Sunday afternoon. Just in time to come back yeah. to work. That's usually how it works for me. See, meanwhile, Danny's just hitting her stride because she spent her bye weekend counting how many different fantasy football playoff postseason she's in. What's the number? Three. Three. Okay. All right. I don't know. I'm more of three leagues. Three leagues. Thank you. Damn. Never really. Uh, three who, said being, who said being a general manager is hard work? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Here we go. You know, speaking of the playoffs, can I can I go on a small rant here? Go, uh, are we talking about real playoffs or fantasy? Talking playoffs? about the real NFL okay, playoffs. That's fine. They posted a graphic, the playoff picture on Monday Night Football, and who's in, who's out, and where it all stands. Can I say that I'm more than a little underwhelmed by the playoff picture? By the six and seven teams in the I hunt. Mean, I mean, look at the NFC. After you have the Niners, Dallas, and Philly, all ten and three, Detroit nine and four. Okay, you have Tampa, Minnesota, Green Bay, 
the Rams, Seattle, Atlanta, New Orleans, all six or seven win teams at this point. I mean, uh, nobody sweats those teams. Well, that's true, but like once once we went to seven playoff teams, that's always what was going to be with a month left in the season. There was always going to be this handful of very mediocre teams that were in the playoff picture. I mean, the AFC is even worse. You got Baltimore, you have Miami, which just lost to Tennessee. Hello, blew that 14-point lead at the very end. KC, who's been struggling, right? They're, the Chiefs have a one-game lead on the Denver Broncos right now. Eight and five versus seven and six. Think about that. Think about the way Den- so Denver's squarely in the playoff mix, and then you have Jacksonville and Cleveland, and and then you got a half dozen teams that are seven and six: Pittsburgh, Houston, Indianapolis, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo. I mean, really? So, I guess my point of this whole thing is that for anyone who says this is a two or three year rebuild to get back to the postseason, absolutely not. The Arizona Cardinals easily and most likely will be a playoff contender next year if the offseason goes as designed. A quick, you're right, and I want to get, I'm going to let Danny answer that real quick, but I just want to put in the thing. So, as you, look over this playoff right. picture. Mm-hmm. Um, were you the one in 2008 who called the Cardinals the worst playoff team of all time <laughs> no. before the playoffs? Oh, no. I wasn't here. Answer the question. No, he, no, I would definitely was not. Uh, I wish I was, actually, because I'd be making about $15 million a year as, as one of the voices of Sunday Night that's Football, a good point. Chris Collinsworth. Right. Mm. Okay, Danny, you can answer the question. Now. I, I do think that's a fair sentiment to have. I mean, there's still four games left, so some of those teams could end up with 11 wins, which really isn't a horrible season. No, so not, I guess not at all. Right? Not at all. No, you're and, right. And I think that's a good point, Paul, because imagine if Kyler Murray had been healthy all year. How many wins would the Cardinals have gotten in, in that time span besides just one over the Cowboys? So so that is a really good point. And, you know, we've talked about the rebuild or maybe not so much a rebuild, but the transition year and, and that you can feel that this team with the players and the character and the coaching staff that they are moving in the right direction. And we were talking this at practice a couple weeks ago, Darren, that it doesn't feel like this is going to take a long time. You could truly see in the near future a quick turnaround from the changes that are being made. Well, I mean, to Paul's point even, not only do I not think it's going to take two to three years, it can't take two to three years. I mean, ultimately, everything is good right now. You're trending in the right direction. But if if – you take only a small step next year and then you're still treading water in year three, that that doesn't – and I'm not just talking about the Cardinals and what Michael Bidwell might do. That's almost every owner in yeah. this league. You yeah. don't get that much yeah. time. You yeah. better figure out a way to, to get in the mix. And specifically, honestly, if we're in the trust tree here on Cardinals Underground, specifically you have to figure out a way to beat your division opponents. The Niners have won 11 straight games in the NFC West. You've lost 14 out of 16 against Sean McVay. Seahawks is always competitive. If you have Kyler in the first meeting against the Seahawks and you're plus three in the turnover ratio, I'm guessing you probably win that game. But you can look at some of these other playoff contenders, and I use that loosely, but it's reality this year. Tampa and Minnesota and Green Bay and Atlanta and Cardinals already beat the Falcons, but in your division, you got to figure this out. To me, over this last month, you had your two games against the Rams. 
You know, there was a stretch there. You played the Niners pretty tough in week four, down 21-3. You made it 21-16, mid to late third quarter, and then it got away from you in the fourth. So you have the rematch against the 49ers. Now you have Kyler. Now you have Buda Baker back. And then you have Seattle to end the season. To me, if there's a couple boxes you need to check, it's be competitive and or post a win against these division opponents. It, it hasn't been easy. And that that's what feels like the uphill battles when you look at the division and, and having to find a way to be competitive and be on top. And offensively, they have struggled for explosive plays and having multiple games where you have consistent rhythm and you're moving the chains because it feels like you might have a game here or there at least this season for Arizona, but we haven't seen that consistently. We haven't seen games strung together like that. And at least this year, when you're naming all those teams, and I'm thinking of the games against those divisional opponents, Paul, when I think of defense, I think of the run game. Yep. That That's what stands out of yep. all those divisional opponents is just getting run over. And I think it's fitting the run scheme. You know, It's the Rams and what they did with that whole you know, stretch and, and, and some of the zone and the crack toss and 174 yards in the second half of the first game, 228 total in the second game. Just somehow the gap integrity isn't there. What the Niners are able to do, a lot of the shifts and motions. I asked Nick Rollis this week how similar those two run schemes are. He said, not really. At least not to Yeah, a, he, not he pretty to much a de- took you apart, didn't he, Paul? That's why. The second thing I mentioned, what I did not do over the bye weekend was ask a dumb question in a press conference because there was no press conference. He was. We have to make clear, dear listener, that... He tried really hard to be nice about it, but as he kept talking about right. it, it became a lot yeah. more dismissive. Like, yeah, this has, yeah. they have nothing to yeah. do with each other. Because it can always get worse. It did. The more his answer went on, the more my question looked. There's, there's no doubt. Of, but I wanted an answer to that. Is it a similar challenge and or fit when you go against the Rams run game, to Danny's point, and the Niners run game? Because if not, you need two totally different game plans because you haven't been very successful stopping the run of, of either coordinator whether it's McVay or Shanahan, and I use coordinator because they're the master behind, mastermind behind their own offenses, even though they're the head coach, uh, they have a problem in that area with trying to fit in terms of, you know, every single time seemingly you play the Rams or Niners. You hear those two words, gap integrity. And so I'm really curious, and I agree with you, Danny, more than anything on Sunday in this rematch against the Niners, can they fit the run defensively? Well, it's it, then it works out well that Steve Wilkes will be on the field, right? <laughs> Oh, you're right. You're absolutely Cap integrity. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Oh, boy. So um, I almost busted out my new nickname right now, but oh, I'm going to save, oh, oh. save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. You can't just tease us. Like no, that, since we're I talking mean, big picture, since we're talking big picture on the big red, uh, here's my question before we get into Kyler specifically. Do you think the offense found a new identity in Pittsburgh? 24 times under center, more than the first three games combined. 38 rushes for a buck 50, right? A true commitment, if not emphasis on the run game. 11 of the 13 completions to tight ends. Do you think maybe the Cardinals offense, I don't know, evolved and or had an epiphany of sorts that we're going to see over the final month? Yes, I do think that the offense evolved. I'm not sure that after one game I can say that the identity has been set or become what it was. Because that was really the first game we'd seen all of those aspects come together in one play. I think it was a couple of things that contributed to all of that, of having the lead, I think, the weather, and running the ball and protecting the ball, and the fact that James Conner was going off 
back in Pittsburgh, a place that means a lot to him against an organization that means a lot to him. But I think when it comes to Trey McBride and utilizing the tight ends, that is the aspect that I think the identity of this offense has changed in a way that we haven't seen this year or in years past, given that was obviously a different staff in, in years past. Trey McBride has stepped up to stay, say the least in, in every aspect of his game, and he has been reliable. And I also like that in games where there has been miscommunication and an interception or an incomplete pass, whatever it might be, Kyler's doing what seems like a better job of continuing to go to McBride, continuing to target him and kind of work through those things and not get caught up of, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to see what else is working after one mistake. So I like that they're continuing to work through that together. That's the part of the Steelers game that I could see as, I, I would say at this point, the identity has changed in this quarterback knowing what he has in his new tight end one. I, I think they would love for that to be the identity, but and I, a team with an offensive identity like that needs to have a consistently strong defense. And as we just talked about, that isn't necessarily what's going on with the Cardinals right now. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's an identity. And when you talk about Trey McBride, he's been great. And we're going to notice it even more because it's a tight end. And, and that's not something the Cardinals have done in their history, quite frankly. But if you strip off positional things, Trey McBride's the best pass catcher they have. He happens to play tight end right now, but... I don't know why you wouldn't go to him first. He's the best person to go to right now. It's why we've now dubbed him oh, Galvisi Consulting. Oh, oh I like that it's Trey McBride. Pigskin Division. Can I do a drum roll? Thou shalt be known going forward as Trey McPlay. Oh, that's not bad, Okay, Paul. I, I, I got to get a Definitely exceeded my expectations yeah, that, for that's sure. that's bad. I'm going to work it in. Trey McPlay. A little bit. Here and there, I'll work it in. Trey McPlay, and and we'll see. Maybe, just maybe, it might get a little traction. Maybe we'll see. And you know that if you brought that up to Trey, he is so sweet. He would have the biggest grin and tell you he loves it, even yeah. if he did not. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it can't be any worse than some of the nicknames that Wolf has foisted on the Red Sea over the years. I mean, come on now, right? That's true. I mean, it's surprising. You know, I mean, everyone wonders why Larry Fitzgerald tackled Wolf uh, two, three times during training camp, at least. Because he nicknamed him the Japanese fighting fish. Which I actually think that's hilarious. Hilarious! I know Omo on the other side of the glass hates it, but I I think it's funny. At the very least, it should be the Japanese fighting fits. I like Japanese fighting fish better than Humble Rumble. Uh, Adrian Wilson, I had to get between Adrian Wilson and Ron Wolfley on an episode of The Big oh, Red Rage boy. when he, you know, we used the gas man. He didn't like the gas man. Uh, didn't like that. That, that, that probably wasn't that was good. not good. Not good. Just for that, actually, uh, Adrian Wilson took the number 24 and went to five Pro Bowls and topped Wolf's four. Where That's does, what Wolf got for that. Where does Iandy fit on the list? <laughs> Iandy, oh man. Just when I thought it what was, was the out one, of my What was life. the one from training camp this year? Oh, oh. You mean Isaiah? No, no, no. Paul had one this year. Isaiah. That, no, 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 no. It's not my fault he didn't work out. <laughs> I mean, he, he was supposed I to. I thought there was another one this year. He was supposed to raise his game to fit the nickname of Isaiah. It's not my fault. Same with I, Andy. My goodness. Let's just hope it's not like this. They're the, letting uh, you down, Paul. Let's hope it's not like the Madden curse all of a sudden, these these nicknames. And I'm, I'm Trey throwing McPlay. out there. I, I think Trey I'm, McPlay. How I'm, about that? I'm in on that. I, I do okay. want to see what his reaction is. It's funny because... I remember way back in the day, we in this department started calling LaRod Stevens Howling the hyphen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember going up to him one day and telling him about it. And he, I don't know if he, he didn't hate it. He 
clearly didn't love it. But we still call him that. And yeah. in fact, did a whole folktales episode with the hyphen in the title. And he, I guess it worked out. Yeah. He sat down for the interview. That's right, he did. He did. Must not have been. Danny worked hard for that interview. She did. Listeners. <laughs> yes. Well, you leverage your Texas ties, right? Is that is that how that came to be? Sure. Yeah. Okay. We don't. We don't uh, need to. I'm not, I yeah. can't divulge okay. my secrets, Paul. Look, here's the deal. Let me just bottom line this, okay, Danny? Like you run your fantasy football teams, and I do mean plural. How are you in three leagues? Because I'm the way? popular. Really? Okay. Um, let me just say that if I'm running the Cardinals' offense, and I'm most definitely not, he gets at least two tight end screens per game. Trey McPlay. Okay, two tight end screens at least. Dude is so good with the ball in his hands. Get some blockers in front of him, especially when tackles are trying to go through blockers to get to him. He's going to run through those arm tackles. Uh, honestly, I, I think it's derelict to duty if he doesn't get at least two tight end screens every single game. Who's with me on that? I sure. I don't not love that. Yeah. I, I, I guess I want to see it, but the, the way he runs the ball angrily – Uh, the way he'll take on, I mean, if you do it right with a tight end screen, I feel like that's an eight to 10 yard play every time. Agreed. Yep. Totally agree. At least. And by the way, the whole offensive identity thing. Okay. Let let me just go back to that real quick. I feel like he's going to kind of like chastise us. When Drew Petzing came to this team, did we not talk about how eventually, ultimately, this would look a lot like the Browns offense, specifically the Kevin Stefanski scheme? Do you think for the first time we saw it against an AFC North opponent at Pittsburgh? That's why I'm bringing this up. Kyler Murray's up there telling the media, okay, that's my four-game preseason. Did Kyler Murray have an epiphany of sorts when he realized early in that game that my footwork is, quote, too fast, that, that I was sped up? See, there are a couple of things that happened in that Pittsburgh game. It was Kyler telling the media about, okay, I started too fast. My footwork was too quick. I was ahead of the receivers in, in a lot of ways, and it was impacting my throws. And sure enough, the numbers would dick. He started 0 for 4 on third down and ripped off 9 out of 11. Not all those were passes, but the offense really got in sync. And then there was um, Jonathan Gannon the Monday of the bye week saying that, among other things, with the Cardinals offense and him and Drew Petzing had a conversation, and he shared with him, you know, it's not a bad thing to repeat a play until they can stop it. So how many times, for example, in that 99-yard drive, did Kyler just go, here you go, Trey McBride, boom, here you go. He's single covered by a box safety or a linebacker, he's open. If, if he's single covered by that kind of defender – you're open. He just kept going back to it, including two touchdown passes in a row, if you if you believe Trey. He's still incredulous, right? They took away the first one. So I, I just wonder if in December, finally, now you have your franchise quarterback, and he's working and getting some of the rust off and assimilating to a very different scheme, very different footwork. Uh, and, and from all accounts, Kyler is taking to the coaching. Like we said, under center two dozen times. Because people go, oh, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal, if you talk to some of the coaches, is that he's got his back to the line of scrimmage for the first time in his career. And that's very different as opposed to being in the gun, where you take the snap, your head's up, your eyes are on the defense the entire time. Not if you're taking a you know play-action fakes and your back's to the defense and you're carrying that out from under center, and then boom, you got to turn around and there's sort of that that moment where you don't know what you're going to find when your eyes go back downfield. 
So that's a process for someone who, for 10 years of his playing career at a high-level high school forward, has been doing it completely different. We, we've talked about this a million times. I mean, again, everything Kyler is doing, he's done in games four times in his life. Not everything, but a lot of the things he's doing, he's done four times in his life over the last month. I don't care how many years he's been in. There, there was a, a sequence on uh, – Sunday night football, another good reason to be on the bye. You actually get to see all the games, other games. Um, on Sunday night football where they were talking about Dak Prescott learning um, to – Here we go. Well, I wasn't going to do that one. That was very nice there. Thank you. Do I, do I need to not talk so you can we can cut that out later? Just check it. Um, and, and about you know taking two steps and getting it out, that quick West Coast kind of thing, the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, whomever – um, but I was also watching all the footwork. They were showing all those different quarterbacks that do it the same way, watching all their footwork. They all had left foot forward, which I thought was interesting. Wow. And But I guess Dak Prescott was telling them he feels like he's had an epiphany doing this kind of thing. And not to make a direct correlation, because I don't know exactly what they're teaching Kyler in terms of that, but, I mean, Dak Prescott's been in this league longer than – Kyler Murray, yeah. and he was learning something new mm-hmm. that he hadn't done in his career, and it took him a few games, and now he's saying it's all kind of clicking in. I think that's the hope with Kyler. Like, it's going to click to that level. And I I know fans don't want to hear this, but once he missed the first part of the year, once the, the losses piled up, this year was going to be about setting stuff up. And one of the things they needed to set up was – Kyler Murray understanding what he was going to have to do in this offense. Just because the Cardinals aren't playing in December for a playoff push doesn't mean they're not playing meaningful football. Moral victories don't count in the NFL, I understand that. There is a lot to be learned in these final four games of the season for this staff. Do the players that they have fit with what they want in the future? And not only that, which players are players you can build around on all sides of the ball quarterback running back wide receiver your interior offensive line there's a lot of questions it's it's not just quarterback of does the staff want to ride with with Kyler Murray and for the long haul and there's a lot of positions on defense there's there's still a lot that you can learn and I think this staff specifically from what we have gathered from general manager Monty Ford and head coach Jonathan Gannon in terms of character and the type of effort and fight that they want to see, the fact that this team is not playing for the playoffs. How, how are the players responding in the locker room, in the meeting rooms, on the field? There is still a lot that they are playing for. And I think, at least in my experience here in Arizona in the past, when it has felt like playoffs were already out of reach, you could tell that some people – didn't really seem like there was a lot of meaningful football, right? It was, okay, let's get to the end of the season. Let's, you know, get to the offseason and start moving forward. It doesn't feel that way, and I wouldn't imagine we're going to see that in these last couple weeks of football. Because I'm usually wrong on these things, no matter how close we are to the team. I I was certifiably mortified going into Pittsburgh based on the lackluster effort you saw against the Rams at times, which Jonathan Gannon cited and called enthusiasm or lack thereof. Dennis Gardak after that Rams loss saying he wanted to see more fight. Now you're going on the road. It's before the bye. 
It's going to be bad weather. You got a Steelers team, Mike Tomlin, 29 and 11 at home in December in his Steelers career as head coach. Everything was lining up for what could be a really lopsided outing. And it was just the opposite. And to me, there are things you judge on the scoreboard. And there are things you judge that you can just see are being built on the sideline, in the locker room, on the practice field. Josh Woods has said more than once he sees similarities to what Dan Campbell did with the Lions. They had a miserable first season. They had a miserable first half of the second season. And then things turned. And when things turn, they can do so in a hurry. So am I predicting a win against the NFL's best team, the 49ers? Absolutely not. But if you can come out, and to your point, Danny, A, Everyone's trying to put film out there because, once again, those two words, no allegiances. If you thought there will be blood last offseason, there's no reason why it couldn't happen again this offseason. There's that. And then I think there's also trying to get some confidence against uh, some of these division opponents, especially a Niners team that's had its way against you for a couple years running now. Did you just say there will be blood, so you used a different movie than The Purge? I did. I, or is there blood in The Purge? I would imagine there's oh, blood. Well, of course there's a lot. Why do you think it gets the R rating there, Danny? I mean, of course there's, there's Are they all of... R-rated? Name, name the ones that are R-rated, Paul. Well, let's see. There's The Purge. There's The Purge Anarchy. There's The First Purge, The Forever Purge, Purge Election Year, and then The Purge Big Red Off Season, or whatever we called it. The Big Red Purge is <laughs> oh, what we call 2023. Like if there's, if there's yeah. a purge, why would the first thing you want to do would be to murder someone? <laughs> well, I, I, that, that why is, would that be where you're... It, it's just a, it's just to sow chaos, really, is what it is. There's a 24-hour period where there can be chaos. I think if you're going to ask those kinds of logistical and philosophical questions yeah. about I won't survive the, the purge. purge. That's right. Detach your brain before you sit down to watch. I think society has moved past right. philosophical <laughs> thoughts if you're having the purge. I mean, you know, I mean, if if, if society can embrace Tommy DeVito. And that whole scene on Monday Night Football. It's it's kind of incredible. It's all me. The agent and the the fedora and his family handing out meatballs and chicken cutlets and pasta, tailgates. See, Paul Calvisi over here is is actually feeling a little upset. I'm conflicted. You feeling conflicted? typecast here? A little conflicted. Um, Was it entertaining? Absolutely. Uh, Did it reinforce every Italian stereotype that's out there? No doubt it did. He's got the agent who looks like Silvio from The Sopranos. You know, the dad who Peyton Manning was calling Johnny Fontaine, which is a great reference to the first Godfather. <laughs> you know, you have the family out there making chicken parm sandwiches. Which all... looked delicious, they by the did. way. So oh. does that mean you never watched and don't support the Jersey Shore? Who was the fullback who was drafted by the Cardinals in the fifth round? This is going back about 10, 15 years, who then went to the Chiefs. He had a long career oh, with the oh, Chiefs. Oh, oh. Who was that oh, guy? Oh, I see his face. Because uh, Sherman. Sherman. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Not Ed Sherman. Oh, no. what was his name? Oh, my goodness. Holmes, where are you when we need you? I was just trying to look through the glass. Um, he for sure knows. Here oh, he comes. Oh, here he comes. I knew oh, he would this know. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, no. Anthony. Anthony. That's right. Anthony. That's right. They used to do the, you know, the Anthony, you know, and the whole thing. And it took that took that locker room when he was a rookie about 15 minutes to nickname him Jersey Shore because he was from Jersey. He had the accent, Anthony. And and he had all the he'd wear all the oh, gold yeah, chains. He, he was right out of Central oh, Casting really from Jersey was. Shore. I loved that show. Oh my goodness! But uh, yeah. So by the way, the headline in the New York Post because I couldn't resist this morning to take a look at it because he's known as Tommy Cutlets. Because you realize he's living at home, Danny. 
I don't know that I lived at home for a long my time. My kids after are I living graduated. at home and they're adults. What, what, is that not supposed to Honestly, happen? Honestly, it was a great setup. By the way, here, here's his quote on Tommy Cutlets living at his parents. About He said, it's, it's like 12 minutes away. He says, it takes me 12 minutes to get here. He said, I couldn't even find a place closer to my work if I wanted to. And he said, I don't have to worry about laundry, what I'm eating for dinner. He said, chicken cutlets and all that. It's waiting for me when I get here. My mom still makes my bed. Everything is handled for me. Okay, I will say, I've been making my own bed since I was like four, and my parents didn't do my laundry when I lived at home. But everything else sounds nice. So, there you go. Hey, we just had a laundry conversation yeah. last night. Yeah. So my, Not with me. No, not, no, not <laughs> like, us. I don't know this conversation. Well, because my, my oldest is about to move out, and he's moving in with his girlfriend, and apparently at one point, laundry was brought up, and she apparently was making the assumption she would end up doing his laundry because that's what her mom does. My son said, you're not touching my laundry. Because <laughs> my kids have done their own laundry since they were tall enough to reach into the washer. Come on now. Really? Oh, hell yeah. Well, your kids are Why tall, so they? is that younger old? Um, I, I would guess my oldest son is, is 24 now. He says he's been doing it at least since he was 15. See, what do Maybe I Maybe longer than that. Why do I have visions of the old Peter Brady episode flooding the whole house with suds and soap bubbles and See, and, that's and, that know. always ticked me off because it's not that hard. I only did that once, but it was with a dishwasher. Oh no. In college. Danny, yeah. Come on. Came back, the kitchen was covered in suds. Anyway. What'd you do? Load, load in like uh, four gallons? What, I, how does that happen? I honestly huh? I, I don't remember. I must have done more than I needed to or didn't I don't even remember if we did a pot it was like it was a really old house and dishwasher but the worst part is I loaded it I lived with four other girls and there I were loaded, five of you yeah Yeesh. and yeah and I loaded the dishwasher as being a good roommate I started it and then I left for my job at the news station and then one of the room I was the only one home everyone else was like at class or whatever they were doing and then we get a text in the group, and it's a picture of the kitchen that's, like, covered in suds. And it's like, oh, oh yeah. what happened? And so I was – they ended up all coming home, and I'm the only one who wasn't there to clean up. Did, did, did you ever find out why it did that? No, I don't remember. I only did it one time, though. Well, she, it was by design. She wanted to clean the floors as well. That's, that's what she wanted to do. You know? Sure. Like a, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Michael Wilson, if he's tracking to play yes. on, on Sunday, um, big game. Big, big game against the Niners in week four. Seven for 76, two touchdowns. Do you know there are three rookies now in the last 20 years of Cardinals football that have had multiple touchdown games, receiving touchdowns as a rookie? Larry Fitzgerald, John Brown, and now Michael Wilson. Wow. So, uh, And to be able to run the ball in, in Pittsburgh, and I talked to Lorenzo Alexander about this. Big deal or not a big deal, Cardinals were able to run the ball, especially that fourth quarter, obviously, against the Steelers, minus their two best blocking receivers in Zach Paschal and Michael Wilson. Good point. So, so if indeed he's back, I mean, you got four games to try and establish a guy who was having an all-rookie-type campaign a couple months into the season before he got hit by injury. I love the the what he could boost to the offense, like what we were talking about before. Why Why is Trey McBride that guy right now with Hollywood Brown disabled at the moment? Like, Trey McBride is that guy to throw to. I think Michael Wilson helps that so much. It, it will be interesting, going back to you talking about the identity. Again, the identity from that game in part came about. Hollywood Brown left early because he yep. was hurt. There was no Michael Wilson. Yep. There was no... like. In some ways, their identity was forced 
by what hand they were dealt. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in fact, I even asked uh, Jonathan Gannon this week, like James Conner had 25 carries last week, which tied the second most he had ever had in his career. And I'm like, okay, philosophically, is that something you would like? Basically, feeding your guy. And I, you, where you were in the, you were I was in, the in there. Yeah. I did not get the impression that he was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. I got the impression no. like that's kind of what happened. But that's because in the last four minutes, he was ripping off eight to 10 yard runs. Why wouldn't you keep giving it to him? But I don't think that's the that's the goal. No, probably not. I, to your point, it's hard to argue what they did was out of necessity, first and foremost. A, they were missing receivers. B, at that point, they have the lead in the fourth quarter and you're trying to salt it away. And oh, by the way, you just wore down their defense and 75 of his rushing yards were in the fourth quarter alone. And as uh, I think Kyle Vandenbosch pointed out, it's amazing how certain defenders will take mysterious angles to the football and James Conner in particular in the fourth quarter when it's already decided. And uh, they, don't, point. they don't have real interest of, of locking horns. So, okay. But I just keep coming back to Drew Petzing and his background yeah, and why true. he was hired. I get it. And that whole Kevin Stefanski thing. And so are we – now, look, they're going to adapt and do what's best for the personnel. Sure. But obviously they have to meet in the middle somewhere or else they wouldn't have changed Kyler Murray's footwork. I agree. And and I will say, like getting back to the Michael Wilson thing, I, I do think how he plays, both catching the ball and blocking, which he embraces, fits perfectly yep. with that – style that you're talking yeah. about now speaking of running backs christian mccaffrey you got to figure out an answer to christian mccaffrey if you're the cardinals four touchdowns in the first meeting three on the ground one through the air now buddha baker is going to be healthy this time around was not there in week four danny what do you think uh do we smell a spy perhaps in this game buddha baker i don't think that's a bad idea i'm just trying to think has anybody this season been able to stop cmc <laughs> Not so much, right? It's no. it's about it's about limiting him and and not to me it's it's not letting explosive plays happen because a player like McCaffrey is going to have a good game. That's just doesn't matter who he's playing. That's that's what we've learned. I think about the other teams that don't have a player on that caliber that have had explosive runs and gotten significantly more yardage on plays they should not have against this defense. That that to me is. What improvements can be made from the first matchup? What can you do to limit McCaffrey? He's he's gonna get the ball and he's gonna he's gonna get yards, right? Like, but what can you do to minimize that? That's what I would want to see against the run game. And without really having a chance to go back and, and look at the numbers and my notes from that first matchup, the other thing that stands out is ASU grad wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, who was either always open or always able to get an insane amount of yards after catch. And I do remember that before that first matchup was when I learned that Ayuk was a Sun Devil. Forks up. Yeah, he was a problem. He was a headache. There's no doubt about it. What's what's amazing is, real quick, in that Seattle game, you talk about how explosive they are, right? They The four big weapons, Christian McCaffrey, excuse me, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. You need any of this, Paul? (laughs) Hey, they combined for over 500 scrimmage yards. Yeah, it chokes me up just thinking of, <laughs> of what it's like trying to defend all those guys. The Niners are like, we had 527 total yards last week against Seattle, and we weren't even that good. We punted it five times and still had over 500 total yards. Efficient. That's, yeah. So that's how explosive they can be. Save me, Darren. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say a couple quick things. One, uh, Danny was mentioning that she just had recently learned about Brandon Nayuk 
being a Sun Devil. She literally, literally learned today Al Michaels was a Sun Devil. I just thought. What, why would you expect that I would have this extensive knowledge I don't about know why ASU you grads? I mean, I just disappointing. The other thing I would say is I saw a stat today on the internets that there are three teams that have at least 3,400 passing yards this year. Okay. One of them is the 49ers. Mm. 49ers, I believe, have the fewest passing attempts in the NFL. Wow. Yeah, that is remarkable. And I guess it would make sense because they have a lot of big leads and they're running it in the fourth quarter, so they're not necessarily... But they're getting their yards, aren't they? Yes, they are. And it's... I mean, everyone's a tough tackle. Debo Samuel, Ayuk, the separation he gets, George Kittle, right? I mean, think about it. And then Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they have four of the toughest tackles in the NFL on one team. But what's interesting is to talk about the former Arizona Cardinals high school player of the year circa 2017, I believe, Brock Purdy. Trent Williams came to Brock Purdy's defense last week. You see that quote? He said, if Brock Purdy was Zach Wilson, the number two pick overall, he'd be the unanimous MVP right now. So I'm tired of hearing that he's got all these weapons. So look what he's doing out there and the caliber of ball he's playing. I don't think he gets anywhere near his due. This is Trent Williams now because he was the last pick in the draft. People are too easy to dismiss him. If he was the number two pick in the draft, he'd be hailed as the next Aaron Rodgers. I will say that I... The idea that he has too many weapons to get credit is is kind of funny. I saw people making this point, but it's an obvious point. When you look at some of the quarterbacks that have won the MVP and you look at the weapons they had, and, and the, the yeah. one that really comes to mind big time is Joe Montana back in the day or even Steve Young where you're throwing to Jerry Rice and you have Roger Craig or whoever you had around you at the time, um, Peyton Manning, all those MVP years. You had two Hall of Fame wide receivers and a Hall of Fame running back. I'm like, come on. Um, and I get it. And I do agree that if Brock Purdy had been a first-round pick, that he probably would be looked at differently. Um, but, it, it, but it is what it is. I mean, you could make the argument, too, that Christian McCaffrey isn't getting enough run as a potential MVP candidate because people are just ignoring him. Well, after last night, people were saying – Tyreek Hill with Miami after noticing when he wasn't in the game and all that he does as well. Yeah. Uh, Vegas right now has Dak Prescott, your MVP leader in terms of odds, and then Brock Purdy is second based on what I saw after the Monday night games. Yeah, but so, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys, Paul. Uh, by the way, uh, the, the, the by the, and that might cost them. that might <laughs> that loss by Dallas might cost them the home field, and Dallas has won. 15 in a row at home so you're like oh the Niners maybe put in cruise control because they have a four game lead in the division no you don't want to play Dallas right now at home even though the Niners destroyed them I get it earlier this year I mean the way Dak is playing and the way they're balling at home didn't I see somewhere too and I could be wrong but didn't I see if if the Eagles went out and their schedule is winner outable what I don't know how you'd say that um don't they still win the division? Yes, they do have the tiebreaker on Dallas. Yes. So yes. Yep. Not only that, not it was only Jerry the, Jones who said that we're prepared to go on the road. Yeah. This, this so postseason. Like not yeah. only not only the yes. Cowboys have to worry about, yeah. it, but like, True. but the way the Eagles' defense is playing right now. Oh, let's see what's the Eagles' defense missing from last year. Oh, a certain coordinator who's now a head coach in Arizona. Funny how that works. How the Eagles. 
defense is among the league's worst in the red zone, giving up touchdowns. El Grande, I mean, are you kidding me? So uh, I'm curious which way the Eagles are trending when the Cardinals go there on New Year's Eve. Uh, that That's going to be such a cool story if they lose another <laughs> game here. Might have to go back to uh, when JG was hired and some of the some of the things that were written and said about yep. him post-Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We just have to refresh our memories. Speaking of going back, cold tub time machine. You mentioned earlier. Ooh, I like that. I've never Jer- heard that one before. Jerry Rice and uh, like Trey McPlay. And, and Joe Montana and John Taylor and Roger Craig and all those guys. Uh, this week's Cardinals folktales, dot, dot, dot. Take it from there, yes. Darren. Uh, when Arizona met the Cardiac Cards, and it's a, it's going to be a piece about the time when Arizona, who uh, the Cardinals moved to the state in 1988 uh, and played the 49ers, who ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. But they met at Sun Devil Stadium. The 49ers had a 23-0 lead. The, the Cardinals made this epic comeback to win 24-23. And it looked like they, they had a chance to win the NFC East that year. It didn't happen because quarterback Neil Lomax ended up getting hurt. Yeah. And that's all oh. part of the story. Oh. But I but I I had told Paula and, and Jim over here, this will all be new to Danny. I'm sure she'll be very excited. But I have <laughs> I have my own little brush with at the time. When when the Cardinals moved to the Valley, it was March of '88. So I was just about to graduate from high school. Don't say it. And um, that summer, I took a summer job. It was a place called a great name, Events with Tents. And essentially, me and my best friend growing up, we helped out this woman who ran a. You you set up these giant tents outside. And they'd hold events, and we would help set up the tents and then do manual labor during these events to whatever. And you pray there's no monsoon that blows your tent away. I totally remember them being one on a golf course. It was not fun. But anyways, um, we got an assignment, and it was to go out to this tent, and we were into the summer by then. So it was 100-plus degrees, and we were going to go work at a new housing development. And it was going to be in Phoenix and way, way south. I grew up in the Scottsdale area. And in those days, there, other than the I-10, there were no freeways in this town. Um, so I never really growing up even drove on freeways. And we were going to help under this tent serve lemonade while Neil Lomax, the quarterback of these new NFL team in town, was going to sign posters as Grand Cannon posters, which I always loved. That's good. And uh, and people were going to come by and they were going to try and sell them houses, whatever. I got in my car with my friend. I didn't have a car. My friend had to buy his own car. His parents made him buy his own car, so it had no air conditioning. So we're driving down the I-10 south. And in those days, once you got past like Guadalupe, you were on the edge of the earth. And we're driving, and I thought it was going to take forever. And I said, where are we getting off? And he said, Ray Road. And I said, Ray Road, where the hell is that? And we got to Ray Road and it was hell. <laughs> like we pulled off and it's the freaking <laughs> desert. I mean, it might as well have been the Sahara. I'm like, and I, I remember saying this in the car, we pulled off and we're getting to wherever this, which is essentially Awatuki now. And there was only a handful of houses that had been built at this point. And I said, and unfortunately I used bad language, myself being 17 years old, who the F would live 
out here, which is hilarious because if you know the area now, if you get off at Ray Road, Ray Road in the I-10, it's obnoxious how many cars are there and you can barely get off because it's so crowded all the time. It wasn't crowded that day. And we sat there for like two hours and it was like the person from the house, the selling the houses, and she would take people into the trailer to try and show them stuff. By so horse. No, most of the time, it was like these two high, just graduated high schoolers and Neil Lomax just hanging out, waiting for people to show up in 105 degrees, drinking lemonade. And that's that was my brush with fame with Neil Lomax. My favorite part of that story is events with tents because you know what you're getting right up front. What a great business name. Events with tents. I like that. And, I'm and glad that's what you took out of it. And less than a year later, his NFL career was done, right? Yeah, I mean, by, by the end of the 88 season, yeah. it, he pretty yeah. much knew because yeah. he ended up having a degenerative hip issue. He hurt his knee at the end of the 88 season, which basically derailed 88. But while he was hurt at the end of that season, they started realizing the hip yeah. was going to be a problem and he had to retire after the 88 season. But there was one monumental marquee win against the 49ers yes. where they got down 23 nothing against the eventual world champion 49ers who yes. were in the middle of winning five, four Super Bowls in seven years because yeah. it was 81, 84, 88, and 89 or yeah. something like that. So That whole story, yeah. you have to tell them where they can at least find it, Darren, the folktales. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, It will be on our YouTube, Arizona Cardinals YouTube channel uh, starting 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. And the story right now is on azcardinals.com, which will also have the video and the video embedded in the story as soon as that is comes out. And there will, of course, be a podcast thanks to Jim Omohundro and Paul Calvisi, which can also be found on all our podcast channels as well as azcardinals.com and embedded in the story. It's funny. Great I job, Darren. I remember. I actually remember watching that game from the living room and my old man getting up all disgusted that they blew the 23 nothing lead because he was a 49ers fan. He was Mr. Joe Montana. So I remember, of course, Montana didn't play in that game. And uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. Okay. All right, Danny, uh, you know, when do the playoffs start for, uh, for, for your fantasy team? This, this week? weekend? Yes. Okay. All right. I have one other thing. Can I throw out there? Please. Uh, I will not be in the office tomorrow because my youngest son is graduating from ASU. Double, wow. double major, and I just want to say congratulations, Eric. Wow. Congratulations, Eric. Very nice. All right. Double major. Was that double the cost for dad? Fortunately, one of the reasons he could double major is because he took enough college credits, dual enrollment in high school, that he not only got the double major, but he graduated in three and a half years, so I'm happy about that. Wow. Okay. Very impressive. High achiever. My goodness. I can't oh. wait. So that means, Paul, we get to wreak havoc when Darren's not in the building tomorrow. <laughs> there we go. All right. I'll follow your lead, Danny. That'll do it <laughs> here on this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.